Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to Newsweek Radio. I'm Jesse Edwards, and I promise that we won't be only talking to world-class guitar players on this show, but I do have another one for you that you're really going to enjoy. Today, we're talking with Mike Dawes, a 33-year-old from the UK who is quickly raising some eyebrows in the world of acoustic guitar now that he's out on tour with the great Tommy Emmanuel, even the Moody Blues. He's got his own captivating, profound, and hilarious solo act melts the hearts, minds, and faces of everyone in the audience. Trust me, that's a good thing. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? Hey, Jesse, I'm good, man. How, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you right off the bat, look, a lot of people in your circles are calling you, you know, one of the best acoustic guitar players on the planet. What is your life like <laughs> for you right now at the moment? What, what is it this day in and day well, out touring? Well, well, first of all, I think the only person that calls me that is my mom. Um, <laughs> and she's sli slightly biased, but I appreciate that. That's incredibly, incredibly kind. I mean, the 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 privilege of being able to to go on tour with tommy emmanuel who really is my absolute guitar hero and you know really as far as i'm concerned the greatest of all time in fact every show i introduce him as the greatest of all time it really as i'm sure you're aware of seeing the show it really doesn't get more intense than seeing him play and and honestly the biggest privilege of that is not only getting to play for his audience but also being able to watch him play from the side of the stage every night and learn so much you know but it really doesn't get better than being able to kind of sit side stage and watch a, ma a true master play every night, you know. So, so a, a large part of my time right now is actually learning, you know, trying to learn and improve, and uh, and by getting to to see these kind of masters. And I put Justin Hayward in that category as well, you know. I mean, he's the songwriter, right? I mean, uh, he is literally a member of the Society of Distinguished Songwriters. So I feel absolutely blessed to have been able to. Uh, come on tour with him. He actually was the one who brought me to America 10 years ago this year, uh, back in 2013, this little English kid from a village in the south of England. He, you know, took all the way to America. And um, I've been able to kind of learn from him in terms of stage show, songwriting, performance, um, all of this. So I feel very, very lucky. I'm, I, I've been given this this masterclass in shreducation, as we could call it, from uh, from the, the the beast of guitar and the beast of songwriting, so feeling very lucky at present. That's how I, how I would describe myself right now. So you're 33 years old now. When did your guitar addiction begin, and when did you realize that it was you know something extremely special? Well, yeah. It, well, you know what the the first musical kind of introduction was actually the movie The Blues Brothers, which is is I don't know if you remember that movie uh, with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Um, uh, amazing, amazing movie, and and I was introduced to that because my dad is a trumpet player, um, and uh, obviously, you know, like the blues, right? So uh, I would watch this, and I was fascinated with 
the sound, specifically the car chase scene when they smash the shopping mall and that, you know, da, 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 kind of music's playing. Um, and from that, I discovered that my mum had this old keyboard in the attic. And I was able to kind of figure out that just by hitting all of the keys, you know, and just kind of think, oh, that, that note feels like this, that note feels like that, you know. And, and, and the addiction to music uh, was amplified when I saw the VHS of Rocky IV, which I still maintain is one of the best Rockies, <laughs> if not the best Rocky. It's, uh, you know, the whole Ivan Drago thing with um, all this amazing soundtrack by Vince DiCola, who I, I'm fortunate to call a friend now uh, through a strange series of connections over the years. Um, so I think that kind of epic 80s kind of synthy guitar shred thing kind of led me to that electric guitar kind of world, you know, uh, Van Halen, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it wasn't until I was about 17 years old that I switched to acoustic. And, uh, and the reason for that was actually because the addiction to kind of creating music was so great and so prevalent. But I grew up in a very small town in the south of England where there weren't really many other kind of um, players. I had, I had a few bands and things like that. But, you know, when you're a, a perfectionist um, wanting to just play all the time, uh, I realized one of the great things about the acoustic guitar is you could self-accompany. You know, uh, as as you saw with Tommy, you know, he explains that very well in his show where when you ditch the guitar pick, you're able to play you know, the bass line and the harmony and the melody and all of that together. And that became a vehicle of self-expression without having to rely on anyone else's availability. So you could just go, 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 go. Um, and and since that point, I've been very fortunate that uh, people have enjoyed hearing the the strange noodlings that that i produced somewhat and um and just i've absolutely got the live show bug as, as hopefully you were able to kind of see from tommy as well just playing live in front of real people especially in 2022 2023 after two years of nothing um is a profoundly moving experience so uh, i just feel very grateful to be able to do that again so going back just a second you did are you saying that you started playing on the electric guitar then Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 12. So I, I got an electric guitar because my, so I don't, I already kind of had the music bug from Rocky four and the blues brothers and playing my mum's keyboard, yeah. but I actually only got an electric guitar because my, my dad moved jobs a lot. So I moved to a new town and I wanted to fit in and the cool kid at school had an electric guitar. So I kind of begged, steal and borrowed, you know, to, to get this, uh, this Squire Telecaster uh for my 12th birthday and um and from that as soon as i played it i was hooked you know the idea you could bend a note beyond what you can do with a keyboard you know um was profound and uh the electric guitar became the bug for a good five years there you know guns and roses red hot chili peppers the beatles uh drifting into metallica and iron maiden and a bit of shred stuff some joe satriani all of that um so that that was the first guitar bug yeah it's an interesting switch from electric to acoustic. Usually, I mean, uh, the proper way most kids learn, I guess, is from acoustic yeah, to electric. Yeah, yeah. It's usually the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was rather than going from acoustic to fun, shreddy electric or, or more pop song electric, I went from easy to play electric to self-accompanying acoustic. Uh, uh, the, and like, like I mentioned, the, the idea there was to just have more control and be able to do full band performances just alone without having to rely on other people. Yeah, or an amplifier. You can just sit there. Yeah, and... exactly. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It is, it is quite convenient when I 
I go on these Justin Hayward Moody Blues tours and my entire back line is just on my back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my friends in, in, in metal bands with their three kick drum drum kits and all of that and 23 cymbals are kind of looking at me with a little bit of envy. But uh, yeah, that, that, that is a lot of fun as well. For a wide, you know, Newsweek audience that might not be immediately familiar with, you know, your style, how would you yeah. describe your, you know, finger picking to people who might not be familiar with kind of the new progressive take that you bring sure. to things? Well, well, the finger style guitar kind of concept is to really, uh, inst- is essentially instead of playing with a flat pick, with a guitar pick that people might be familiar with, you get rid of that. And suddenly, if you look down at your hand, you now have four fingers and a thumb that are all available to pick the guitar strings. Now, finger style guitar isn't necessarily, you know, limited to the acoustic guitar. I mean, the late great now, Jeff Beck, you know, played with his fingers, you know, Mark Knopfler, all, all on electric guitar, they're then known to have played with their fingers. But the finger style guitar sort of terminology, the brand, has become largely associated with the acoustic guitar through players like the late great Michael Hedges. Um, who was uh, very prominent in the USA um, up until and beyond the date of his unfortunate uh, death in the 90s. Um, and, and, and along with that right-hand finger-picking, where we now are able to self-accompany by, say, playing a melody with some of your fingers whilst perhaps your thumb plays the bass line, right? This is what I mean by self-accompaniment. We, we've expanded that uh, in, in recent years to include you know, hitting on parts of the guitar's body, like a drum kit to replicate some drum elements, but also change the tunings of the acoustic guitar, uh, very similar to people like Joni Mitchell, uh, Davy Graham, um, people like that, um, experimenting with different tunings um, to create a palette of very, very hard to achieve sounds if you were to play the guitar in a traditional way, right? Um, I suppose the, the one sentence answer would be something like, fingerstyle guitar breaks down the boundaries of traditional guitar playing and enables you to just do so much more with it you know uh play uh largely self-accompanying music as a standalone one-man band performance for those of us not blessed with the gift of voice (laughs) such as myself it's an amazing thing to watch somebody do just a solo performance. It's so much different than, you know, watching a band. And I, I can only imagine it's just a completely different world as a performer. Can you talk about that that sort of difference and what it really takes to to keep that audience going? Because you, you do a fantastic job at it. And it's, you know, not only are you a phenomenal guitar player, but you're also extremely hilarious. And it, it, keeps, it keeps the room going. Can you talk about that? Thanks, man. Thank you. Well... Yeah, I mean, part of that is, you know, it's funny. Um, when we had the lockdowns in the UK, where, where I'm from, I was unable to play a show for about two years, right? Up until that point, I'd been playing for about sort of seven years straight on the road. When I stopped and then came back to it, I realized how insane it is to just stand on stage by yourself with no bands to hide behind. You know, it's just you and a guitar. There's, there's you know, it talk about live without a net, right? Um, and, and I really kind of was taken out of the moment thinking, yeah, this is pretty, pretty intense. So when you're up there by yourself, the audiences are getting a true window into what it is that this person's doing. There's no backing tracks, big, crazy production necessarily. No, like I said, no drummer to hide behind. But um, it, as a result, it does take a lot to kind of try and hold an audience for anything from half an hour to 40 minutes to a full hour and a half headline. Um, 
but the reason I love it is because it's such a rare opportunity for honest expression to a captive audience or a potentially captive audience. And why that is so valuable is that I feel nowadays with you know people on their smartphones and Instagram and TikTok and all of that, um, a lot of the entertainment that people are getting are uh, is sort of almost arbitrary. It's you know they could be swiping past something that entertains them for a second and they they give it a little heart like you know a little heart emoji while they're sitting on the toilet and then they keep scrolling. <laughs> but there is something much more profound to the craft of trying to hold an audience for something like an evening in a room and you can reach people and get inside their hearts and their souls in this much deeper way, which you just can't really do nowadays with how most people consume media. So in a ethereal spiritual kind of uh, way of putting it, it's a profound opportunity to hopefully uh, be able to make people forget about the worries in their lives for an evening or just make people happy. Um, you know, and, and, and it's hard to do that from anywhere else other than the stage. Um, now, you mentioned the whole entertainment aspect. I do like to joke around on stage and try and have as much fun as possible. And part of that, other than the honest self-expression, part of that is also to reach the friends of the guitar players and the people who they might have brought to the shows. Because my show is not just for guitar players. It's, it's supposed to be for everyone, you know. And that is something that I did learn early on from Tommy Emmanuel. You know, just because you're doing an instrumental guitar performance doesn't mean you have to be a guitar player to enjoy it. Um, it's supposed to be equal parts moving, equal parts spectacle, equal parts comedy in some places, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just trying to give people a positive emotional response and give people an evening where they can forget about all the bullshit in their lives, you know. And uh, yeah. it's it's a profoundly wonderful way to get to, to get to spend your days. It's sort of a mastery that you, you and Tommy both have of that, that just range of emotion and being able to slow down a show that's going just bouncing off the walls, but then able to, to bring it in and, and zero in on that kind of more of an intimate feel at that moment. When did you kind of learn about that range of emotion and its importance in your performances? Well, a, a big part of it is when you're, when you're standing on stage by yourself, there's actually two instruments, you, uh, you know, and I put the guitar with that, but also the silence in the audience is the second instrument. The room is the second instrument. And you can, you, you must listen to the room and you must listen to the response you're getting from the people there. And sometimes you've just got to slow things down. Sometimes you've got to speed things up and, and you can ebb and flow with the vibe of the night. And that's something that you do learn over time. You know, you, you know when people are kind of on their feet screaming and you want to then just like crank it up a notch. And a lot of that is honestly how you're feeling on the night. The, the great thing about being able to perform completely solo is there's no set list. You can just change what you play, you know, on the fly. You don't have to check with your bass player, you know, if, if, if you can remember the song. It's just you. You're responsible for it. But early on in my career, I was writing a lot of slow numbers influenced by Celtic music. Um, where I grow up and where I live now in the southwest of England is very near the Welsh border. So there's a lot of traditional folk music from, from Wales, from the southwest of England, and from Ireland as well. And uh, early on in my career coming to America, I was playing a lot of these slow Celtic ballads. And I just found this transcendent response with the American audiences in particular 
with that kind of music. And, and, and it wasn't until I, I did some research that I realized how much kind of Irish heritage there is here, you know, especially places like Massachusetts, you know, the East Coast, um, which I'm actually going to be playing. I don't know when this is going out, but early February, I'm doing a, a headline US tour. It'll be the first time I've ever done that on the East Coast. So very much looking forward to that. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you can learn how to kind of, I'm meandering a little bit, I apologize, but um, playing these kind of slower, melodic kind of traditional songs that, that resonate with people is, uh, is, is a really wonderful thing as well. And uh, I, I see that in the love that the American public also have for Tommy's uh, references to Chet Atkins and Mel Travis and people like that and music that's been very, very important in American culture since the you know, 50s. While we're talking about different audiences like around the world, what is like an American audience compared to with your kind of music compared to like in Japan or South America? I know those crowds can tend, tend to be a little bit more uh, enthusiastic, I guess you could say, about the entire guitar genre specifically. Is that kind of changing in the States or, or are other countries kind of more receptive to guys like you and Tommy around well, the world? That's uh, really interesting you say that because, I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of South America. My, my, my brief experiences of playing in South America and in the Caribbean have been absolutely wild. You know, the, the audience is down there. It's like a soccer match. You know, I shouldn't say that as a, <laughs> a football match, right? right? It's, you know, they just go wild for all music and all my, all my friends and colleagues in bands who go down there have a wonderful time. But America is honestly my favorite country to play in. And I think that you guys have a special relationship with the guitar, but not just the guitar, but also through um, you know, immigration, foreign people, immigrants. Yeah. This is a country built on immigrants, essentially. And people like myself, being from England, and Tommy, who's n natively from Australia, we are welcomed here in a way that I feel is... We're welcomed in a... It's hard to say this without bashing other countries. You <laughs> guys just make us feel really, really stoked about playing. And the American audiences, uh, that, that's the word, you're welcoming. You are the most welcoming audiences, I think, that I've ever played to. Um, and that's why I love playing here. And that's why over six months of every year, I tour in America. And I will also say, as a side note, you love British humor for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but you do. Yeah. And as a, as a Brit with an awful sense of humor, you embrace me with open arms. And that's not something that I get from other countries. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, let's go back a little bit towards your younger years. Um, yeah. you switched to acoustic. When was the first like moments where you realized you might have an actual career here? When did you kind of get your first break and realize that, holy shit, I, I'm, I'm going in this direction. Well, interestingly, um, there was no plan B and I'm incredibly grateful for the, um, support of my parents in that, in that a lot of parents, if you say, Hey, I want to be a professional musician, they'll say, uh, maybe have a backup plan, you know? But mine didn't. It was just, okay, cool. Let us know how we can help. You know, if you need a lift to band practice or something like that, you know, let us know and we'll, we'll see if we can take you. You know, I had that kind of relationship with my mom and dad and, and, and they helped so much in instilling this idea of, oh, you want to do this? Sure. Okay, cool. You know, and I really feel for people that don't have that opportunity. And I, I understand how privileged I've been for that. Um, and so, so that's kind of how it went, really. I, I, I decided once, once I made the decision to switch to acoustic, I was out almost every night of the week playing in bars and open mic nights because I loved it. I loved the thrill of playing in front of an audience and I loved the, uh, 
you know, learning how to control the drunk Englishman in the back of the pub who's heckling, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff is an invaluable education into live performance and touring. But um, when I graduated university, which is, you know, your college you know, is our university, um, I was about to go straight out onto a world tour that I'd booked with a, re with a, with a record deal. Um, but I was in a musical duo with a girlfriend at the time. But unfortunately, we broke up. So what happened is, as I thought I was graduating, going into this world tour and record deal, all of that went away instantly. Uh, so I ended up down at the job center. Uh, I think you'd call that, I don't know, the unemployment office or, or I don't know what it's called in America. And I was trying to, you know, beg, steal and borrow and get any money I could to pay rent. I ended up teaching ukulele for kids uh, for a while, which was uh, an interesting experience. I've, I don't know if you've ever seen a kid attack another kid with a box of ukuleles, but it, <laughs> it sounds horrible, um, figuratively and literally. But what ended up happening is I ended up channeling that kind of energy of that turmoil into an arrangement of a song called Somebody That I Used To Know, which is a very, it's a song by a guy called Gautier, a very popular song from sort of 2011. Uh, and all that energy of, of this lost opportunity and this, you know, years and years of practice culminating in this big record deal and then it all going away culminated in this, this music video I put together playing a one man band version of somebody that I used to know put it on the internet, not really thinking much of it. And it, to, to my sheer surprise and immense good fortune and gratitude, it went super viral. And all the news outlets were talking about it. All these tour offers came in and suddenly I was able to rebuild what I'd, what I'd lost through that breakup. Got that. We can start adding some guitar on top. Now the guitar is played by the left hand hitting the, the sort of the frets, hitting the strings, but not picking the strings, okay? Just like a guitar there, we have bass and guitar. Two layers. We can add our drum kit on top of that now. Our drum kit is played by the right hand hitting the body of the guitar just like a drum kit. Now it is worth mentioning that in my country we do have this thing called Brexit happening right now. I'm sure you have heard of it. And it's caused me to considerably reduce my prices. So, if any of you guys are perhaps booking agents or you're looking for a full band for your wedding or bar mitzvah or holiday or whatever, <laughs> just hit me up on MySpace. So we have bass, guitar and drums all together, but we're still missing one layer. Okay, the most important layer of all in popular music, the melody. Here we go. This song's dedicated to my friends in the European Union. It's called Somebody That I Used To Know. Here we go. promoters were emailing me saying hey come and tour in this country Lebanon China wherever and I couldn't because I didn't actually have any songs uh, because you know this this relationship was a duo project it was a separate set list but I through that that year that, that, that next year around 2012 I taught myself how to manage myself I taught myself how to be my own booking agent I taught myself how to book visas book flights build a set list write an album 
and uh, that all came together in uh, spring of 2013, and I've been on the road ever since, about 10 years now. So wow. it, it's been a, a very, very movie-like, it's a very Hollywood movie-type journey, but it's it's completely true, and uh, it's just a lot of hard work and a lot of you know having no backup plan, just this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to get on with it and do it, you know? Uh, which I think is why I respect the American culture so much as well, because you guys have a big culture of that, you know, picking yourself up by bootstraps when things go wrong and things. So, um, yeah, uh, another reason why I have this uh, connection with uh, the United States. And um, that's why I'm here now. I'm in my, I've got an American girlfriend now. I'm sat in her house uh, about to go out with Justin Hayward. So it's uh, good times. So when do you start meeting guys like Justin? Uh, you said he takes you to the States. Was that sometime around yeah, 13? Yeah. Yeah, so it was actually um, almost just after I'd done this somebody that I used to know uh, track in the timeline. I get an email from Justin Hayward. Uh, I'm in my crappy post-student accommodation in the south of England. I wake up from a night out at pubs, check my email, and I get an email saying, Hi, this is Justin Hayward. Um, <laughs> literally, hi, this is Justin Hayward. I'm putting a band together for a US tour. Would you be interested in playing guitar? And in my dazed, hungover, uh, <laughs> idiot mindset, I literally emailed back saying, ha, <laughs> David Justin Hayward? Question mark. Like, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I Googled the name Justin Hayward, you know, and, and identified his, his, uh, his birth name from his Wikipedia. He thought it was a prank. He emails back again saying, yep, ha, ha, that's me. So what do you think? And uh, at that point, I'd... Uh, come to i'd called my parents they gave me a basically a digital slap around the ear for for responding the way i did <laughs> and um and uh you know let's just say educated me in the impact of the moody blues because bear in mind i was 23 i was born in 1989 so i wasn't around for nights in white satin and a lot of these these big hits um but once i realized who this was um I immediately did a deep dive into the discography, fell in love with the discography, went up to meet him. We, we hit it off like a house on fire. He actually told me that um, it was an audition what I was doing, but as soon as I left, he called and canceled all the other auditions and essentially offered me the gig on the spot. And not only that, but I'm incredibly blessed that he offered me uh, the opening slots. So I've been opening his shows as well, which is, uh, it's I don't know how... Uh, if the Newsweek readers will know how rare and hard it is to be a foreign artist, to tour America and get to play your own music. there's It's so hard and expensive to get to that point because of all the paperwork and just the incredibly rare opportunities. So for Justin to just give me that shot is something I'll always be grateful for because without that, I wouldn't have been able to play any of my music to an American audience. I wouldn't have been able to get these albums out there and i wouldn't have been able to be invited back i certainly wouldn't have been able to get the shows with tommy etc etc so when someone like justin someone as established as justin with such a good heart just gives people these helping hands it's profoundly moving i keep saying the word profound like all the time in this, in this interview <laughs> but uh he is like my uncle at this point i i, I think of him like a, a cool rock star uncle and he, without his support i don't know where i'd be so uh, big, big shout out to Justin, uh, very, very kind guy. One of the nicest guys in the industry. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Moody Blues in the UK are, are considered basically royalty compared to like in the States who, you know, a lot of people know who they are, but they're much bigger in the UK, right? Well, 
I'd actually argue it, it, it it's it's sort of similar, but it, mm. it's I mean the two markets that we tour in are the USA and the UK. We we, we occasionally go to the Netherlands. I know there's um they they have some big hits in the Netherlands. I think in Amsterdam, a lot of people like to get high and listen to the Moody Blues. So there's that. But um yeah. in the in the US, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In the UK, uh, Justin Hayward has an OBE from uh, the late Queen. You know, so when you say they're like royalty. There's more truth in that than you might think. Uh, he recently got honoured by the Queen just before she passed away. Interesting. But um, but they are, you know, they are they're actually the first band in history to sell out Madison Square Garden twice in the same day. Mm. So they're they're big in both both territories for sure. But um, right now we go out as just Justin Hayward, uh, his solo band. And the cool thing about these tours with Justin is that it's. It's his songs as he wrote them, a lot of the times on the guitars he wrote them on. It's an acoustic show, and we go out as a four-piece. So it's Justin playing about 16 different acoustic guitars. It's wow. insane. The amount of acoustic guitars we have on this tour is just mind-blowing. Most of the tour's budget is on protecting acoustic guitars from Arizona desert weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's myself on lead guitar and, and, and backing him up. And then we have the amazing Julie Reagans on keyboards and backing vocals. And then we have a new edition, Carmen Gould, uh, which is G-O-U-L-D, on the flute, doing backing vocals as well. So we get some of those classic kind of uh, Ray Thomas kind of parts. Um, and uh, it's great. I think Carmen must be the, 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 the second or the, the, one of the only active rock and roll flute players out there right now, which is very cool. Wow. Do you do, you do your own tech? Do you set up your own guitars? Or do you have somebody there? Um, on all tours except Justin, I do it all myself. Um, but on the Justin tours, we have uh, Chris Trapea, uh, who's a dear friend of mine who I met uh, when he was teching for Prince, wow. actually. So he's with Justin, and he also uh, works with Billy Strings as well. Oh, wow. So we, we have a great relationship. We go way back, and um, he's from Philadelphia, great guitar tech. Um, but um, on the Justin tour, it's like everyone's helping everyone out. We've had the same sound guy, Steve Chant, who's incredible. Uh, and with, with Tommy as well, Tommy has his own uh, traveling uh, front of house guy, Steve Law, who used to work for Keith Urban, and, uh, and Zach Corp on Lights. Um, uh, so so they, they help out as well. But in terms of setting up the guitars and the pedals and stuff, I, I do it all myself 95% of the time. It's, it's that control freak uh, kind of behavior I told you about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I noticed Tommy did it his own too. What, what was it like meeting him for the first time? How did that relationship come to be? Because you guys have been in the studio recording albums together. Uh, what was it like mm. and how did you meet Tommy? Well, the Tommy connection um, came through his manager, uh, Brian Penix at Vector Management, uh, who, who hit me up asking if I wanted to open a few shows uh, on the East Coast, which I immediately said yes to, of course. Um, and what I didn't realize was this was a sort of a uh, sort of secret audition for me uh, for the a ma management pitch. So um, essentially, I think they'd, they'd spotted me online, uh, liked what I was doing, wanted to see if I could really do it in real life, you know, if, if I could do a show. Uh, the ultimate verdict was um, I got an offer to join the management company, uh, which is Vector Management, who I'm with right now. Um, and, and as a result, um, I am getting opportunities to go out with Tommy uh, into all these different territories. So we're doing, we just did the West Coast in December, but we're actually going to do a big tour of old ancient amphitheaters in Italy in March, which is going to be delightful. Wow. Um, and, but, but you know, I, I could I could talk management politics, but, but honestly, I think the real reason is Tommy and I just really get on, man. 
you know, I mean, you put an Aussie and an English guy in a car together, the banter is just legendary. <laughs> you know, um, we get on really well on the road. Um, and when we play together, um, he's an absolute legend who can do anything. Uh, but there's maybe the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little thing that he doesn't do, which is the the the, the full on crazy kind of uh, well, whatever it is that I do is maybe the 0.1% of things <laughs> that Tommy doesn't do in his show. So I like to think that he's found me and said, ah, now the show has everything. <laughs> Compliment each other very well, yes. Well, it, I mean, as you know, I don't think there will ever be a guitar player or entertainer or human being like Tommy Emmanuel ever. I think he's an absolute unicorn. He's one in billions. And I'm just incredibly grateful that whatever it is that I'm doing, he likes and his audience like. And what ends up happening is the show that we do is just a joyful experience for everyone. You know, the people on stage are having fun, the people behind the scenes are having fun, and hopefully the audience is having fun as well. When I got to see you wrap up your set before Tommy came out, the guy sitting in front of me turned around to me and looked at me and said, I guess I'll just go home and chop off my fingers now. <laughs> well, hey, interesting thing about that. I actually chopped <laughs> off one of my fingers. Like one of my fingers is actually Recently. sewn back on. Oh, really? Think, no, back, back when I was about 16. Oh, wow. My, finger, my <laughs> fingertip on my fretting hand third finger is actually sewn back on and I have no feeling in it. So wow. maybe there's something to be said for, <laughs> for that, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it at all. Well, it's, it's interesting because look, good guitar players are a dime a dozen, but every once in a while somebody comes along that's just so good, and which is why obviously Tommy brought you on the road with him that you're you're both demoralizing and inspiring at the same time, right? Did you kind of understand that vibe that some guitar well, players my, might my have? My goal, yeah. Yeah, my goal is actually that everyone destroys their guitars. <laughs> I want all guitars to be on a track show. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand because I feel it about almost every guitar player I see. Wow. Every guitar player out there is the best version of themselves that there will ever be. And if you like what they do, of course it's gonna be demoralizing because you're never gonna be able to do that specific thing as well as them. You know, one huge guitar hero of mine is a, a good friend of mine from Finland named Petteri Sariola, which is P-E-T-T-E-R-I-S-A-R-I-O-L-A. -T -T -E -E He's not a particularly known name over here, but what he does is so uniquely him, and I'm in love with it so much, that all I can do is be a poor impressionist of what he does, you know? Mm -hmm. Just remember, if you're reading this and you play guitar, you are the absolute best you that there will ever be. And if you like what you do, if you can get to the position where you're enjoying what you're doing, I can guarantee you that somewhere, someone will be looking at you thinking, man, I'm never gonna be able to do that, you know? Because of course they won't, because they're not you, right? So um, just remember that. Remember that everyone has their own unique voice. and. Uh, that's what people should be working towards is just playing for themselves. And uh, that, uh, that guitar player's envy is an unfortunate byproduct of that. But uh, be believe me, every guitar player in the world, myself and Tommy included, will always feel like that when we look at our favorite players. You talk about, you just said something about playing for yourself. And I, I always think that's really a remarkable thing, especially coming from players like you and Tommy. Um, I, I take it you do still have those moments where you sit by yourself and just play for the sheer pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's how it, it all starts. That's how it should be. You know, um, the thing is, what I will say is that, that trying to turn music into a profession, especially live music, there is this risk of sort of burning yourself out. And, and, it is, and I have lost that, to be, to be frank. There's moments on the road where 
All I want to do is practice for the show, play the show, rinse, repeat. And there's no time to really get into that zone. But when I'm at home or I'm with my loved ones or I'm with my friends, you know, <clears throat> that's when I get that, that spark back. And, and I think that moving forward in my professional career, you'll see a lot more collaborations because up until Tommy and I released our EP together, which is called Accomplice Volume 3, um, which we only released uh, because two shows got cancelled because of COVID. So we went to a studio and just recorded something totally. Everything was one take, like the most raw record you could possibly imagine. It sounds amazing. It's, it's a profound set of moments captured. Up until that point, I hadn't really collaborated with anyone on a recording. And I enjoyed that process so much. And what I've decided to do is that in conjunction with my own uh, albums, I'm actually in the process of just compiling a bunch of singles with friends. Not necessarily the biggest names, but players I really admire. I actually just filmed a video for one of these songs here at my girlfriend's place. Um, and I think that's how the spark is, is being maintained. It's, it's through collaboration and sharing ideas now. Because music is always shared, isn't it? It comes from your head to your heart to your hands to your instrument and into the listener. Um, I'm just really excited about sharing that with other musicians as well. So I think that's what I'm doing at present to maintain that, uh, that joyful exuberance. <laughs> that that's sense. awesome. Do you have anything you want to plug right now? Things to watch out no, for? That's, that's super sweet of you. I mean, I'm going on tour with Justin Haywood, opening for him. Uh, that's uh, late January through early February in Florida. But then I'm doing my first ever East Coast headline tour uh, starting February the 8th in Richmond, Virginia, uh, running through 8th of February through the 19th. All the info's on the website, and that's East Coast. And um, I'm really excited about that because that's going to be a sort of 10-year anniversary of touring the USA and uh, the ability to perform and my weird guitar music to an American audience on the East Coast, which is actually where I've played for the first time 10 years ago um, with Justin, is going to be, uh, we'll use that word again, profound. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and for anyone interested in new music, uh, 2023 is the year of new Mike Dawes music. So there'll be a bunch of singles and a brand new album as well coming uh, sooner than people think. Are you still doing like guitar workshops and that sort of thing? Anything scheduled this year? Yes. So actually... Um, uh, one of the things I do is on my website, I actually offer a lot of downloadable guitar lessons. So uh, people can actually get, um, if they're interested in learning my style of playing, there's loads of tuition materials on my website, which is mikedoors.com, including a gift box with this, this guitar-shaped USB stick in it that contains about nine hours of me teaching fingerstyle from the ground all the way up to absolute chaos. Nice. Um, uh, and in terms of in-person workshops, um, I do, if, if fans are coming to the shows, I offer one person per day the opportunity to uh, come and have an in-person guitar lesson wow. uh, if they want. And all, all you need to do if you're interested in that is just email me on one of my social media platforms like Instagram and, uh, and we, we sort that out. And uh, it's nice to do that again post-pandemic, you know, well, we had to shut that down in the wild for uh, for a while in the interest of getting through tours, you know, yeah. uh, without any cancelled shows. Semi successfully, I might add. But uh, it's it's nice to be able to connect with people on a one to one basis and just talk about music and get our get our chops up together. So that's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
the great Mike Dawes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Mike, D-A-W-E-S. Check him out at mikedaws.co.uk. See him live in concert. Buy his music. It's fun for the entire family. He's just a class act and a very kind and genuine spirit, and we're very lucky to have heard from him today. And be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode, where we talk with theoretical astrophysicist Michio Kaku about nuclear fusion, UFOs, wormholes in space, and so much more. For Newsweek Radio, I'm Jesse Edwards.